Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark-Moore, and my guest this week is returning for his second episode of the Netflix Podcast. Let's give a big warm welcome to filmmaker Edward Platero. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks awesome. for com- Thanks for coming back, man. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. I had a blast the last time that we talked, discussing uh, <laughs> Interstellar. Interstellar. Yes. So it's been a while since we talked to you last. Is there anything cool you've been watching on Netflix recently, Edward? The last thing I finished on Netflix was season four of House of Cards. Yeah, okay. So I, I'm one of the people who kind of gave up halfway through season two with the best of intentions oh of coming back. Okay. So, like... It's good. It's right. good. Like, season season three kind of, for me personally, kind of dipped down. I, I felt it got a little bit, little bit long. Um, but season four... It's a slow burn, and the way it the way it all comes together is absolutely incredible. I cannot wait for season five now. And they just lost their showrunner, so I think they they've kind of they kind of hung something out at the end of um, season four, which may note that they are going to take a little bit of a shift in the uh, in the show. Okay. So I guess we'll find out. But all right, I don't want to spoil it because it's so good. Fair enough. Well, the movie that we're here to talk about this week is from the year 1995, directed by Catherine Bigelow. We're going to be talking about Strange Days. Before we get into that, I should let you know that today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London's premier digital hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. All right, so Strange Days. Let's start off with how Netflix describes this movie. First of all, when you hover over the title, it says... Warning, that vivid memory may not be your own. Welcome to a world where recall might get you killed. It's odd. It's odd. That's really odd. Would you watch that movie? No. If that's all no, you saw about no. it? No, I, I, I think that would be like total recall. Yeah, right? Yeah. Just because, yeah. I mean, partially because they use the word recall in there. but Yeah. Because they, they don't say that at once. They don't say the word recall once in the movie. Next up, when you click on the movie, the description changes to when a high-profile murder shows up in the collection of potent drug-like virtual reality clips, ex-cop Lenny gets ensnared in a fast-paced manhunt. So I feel like I'm more likely to watch that movie, yeah. but also every single piece of information in yeah. that description is yeah. false. But it's accurate. It's an accurate description of the movie. Well, I mean, it's not a really high-profile murder. I mean, it's kind of a, well, a sex worker that nobody knows about who's No, murdered. no, no. I think they're talking about... We can get into it. Well, as oh sure, I yeah. guess. But I mean, that's kind of giving a little bit more away yeah. than you want to. But the genres that this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are thrillers, crime thrillers, sci-fi thrillers, and sci-fi and fantasy. And the moods, or the uh, yeah, the moods that it assigns are ominous, dark, imaginative, violent, and suspenseful. Yeah, I agree with those. Yeah, I didn't know ominous was one. Uh, so. I, I do want to know why Strange Days, because I'd never seen this movie before. I'd always kind of dismissed it, because I don't think it's a very good poster, which, you know, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, yeah. and so on and so forth, but I always just kind of like, oh, this is like some art, some artifact of the 90s that I can just skip over. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I, like, when when you, you hit me up and said that, you know, asked me to come back on here, I was like, okay, well, I just jumped on Netflix to see, okay, what would I what would I pick? Mm-hmm. to talk about and i was i was really leaning towards the wolf of wall street okay and then i saw i, I scrolled down saw strange days come up and I, I sat on it i thought i have not seen this movie probably since 2000 and and i really liked aspects of it and then i just quickly thought about it and i think there's a lot of stuff that they they the paths they go down in the movies the movie that is we're kind of seeing happening now mm-hmm. and I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at, and I haven't since I haven't revisited in that time, just to revisit the movie, knowing what I remembered about it, and then just seeing how it holds up. And I imagine that it was really confirming because that's that's what really struck me about this movie is how much of the stuff was so uh, was so so valid. You mm-hmm. know, for a movie that came out in 1995, mm-hmm. predicting what was going to happen at the turn of the century in 1999, rest in peace, Prince. So, I mean, like, if we break it down this way, so it's a movie where virtual reality has become a new form of entertainment. Uh, We're seeing police being held accountable by way of increased surveillance. You've got white police officers gunning down black citizens during escalating routine traffic stops for really dumb reasons. And you've got a militarized police force. Like, so many of the big things that this movie is tackling, while it is largely in response to the L.A. race riots, I Mm -hmm. mean, they're so 
they're, they're, it's, they're it's so crazy how on the right nose now. it is. Yeah, like, it's it's. I hats off to James Cameron, like he wrote the story, so the script falls apart at times, but the concepts in there, I think he's like, it's brilliant that he's he's not predicted it, but like this is what we're seeing that's slowly happening now, mm-hmm. and um, with you know like things like Oculus and. And inventions like that, um, like we're getting there. All right, so let's start with the Oculus thing with okay. the uh, with the technology in this movie, mm. which the whole idea is that if people wear these uh, basically brain recorders on their heads, then mm. it'll record a full immersive experience that people can absorb themselves into and basically like adopt mm-hmm. not only uh, like a visual representation of what that person was going through, but because it's planted directly into your head. Yeah. You know, you, you feel what they feel and, and things like that. And the way they show that in the movie is through this really cool first-person POV thing, which I was reading apparently they yeah. they, t- they had to take a year to come up with some kind of camera rig yeah, system. They, they invented it. They to invented, make it happen. Yeah. And then speaking of things that are, you know, at the forefront of the mind, I mean, we yeah. just saw the release of Hardcore Henry, a movie that's filmed almost identically in this way like i haven't seen the movie but i've seen the trailer and it looks like these point of view shots these first person shots and this what's crazy about this is this is like pre-gopro this is you know this is 20 years ago and 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 they did it on film which is insane to think about like the the detail that they went through to get this authenticity that now that we're we're able to to see filmmakers today do this stuff with gopro to see somebody accomplish that feat 20 years ago is like outstanding. Like when I, I I watched the movie today, uh, and and the movie, the opening scene I've seen a lot. That's one of the things that I revisit on YouTube and stuff like that. But as I got deeper in the movie and saw how like they kept on bringing that first person stuff back, it just is mind blowing how well they did it. Yeah, it really brings you into the experience of what mm-hmm. the person is going through, and it's it's done so well that it doesn't feel hacky. Like it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like when they do it in doom, when you're like, Oh, Hey, this is fun. Yeah. I'm playing doom. Mm-hmm. Like it's as good as you can get of immersing somebody in somebody else's perspective mm-hmm. without getting into extra sensory stuff. And yeah. you know, like making me smell the smells and feel the feelings. Yeah. So well, I, I saw this movie in the theater when it came out and that was like, it was a next level experience to, to, see like because no, no one had accomplished anything like that i felt at the mm-hmm. time and i'd never seen anything like that that anyone who did it that well it was it was mind-blowing and it's still it so holds up today along with this new technology that's happening in the movie uh i thought it was also interesting that pretty much right away we have and i apologize for anybody listening for the quality of my voice i'm just getting over a bit of a cough or maybe i'll just keep it <laughs> should take up smoking and get this full time uh, give me feedback on Twitter. Let me know that pretty much right away. Lenny starts talking about the ethics of yes. this coming technology, and I think that you know we're we're constantly dealing with that with the the rapid evolution of technology. But for instance, his moral code says I don't deal in snuff clips. Mm-hmm. So Lenny sells these memories to people for you know entertainment purposes, and he originally refuses to buy this one clip because somebody dies at the end of it. And yep. He says I I don't do that. But along with seeing that there's this these newly developing ethics that go along with this technology, you also see him compromising it right away. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, oh, no, I can't buy this clip because there's a death in it. Like, come on, man, I'm going to have to cut that out. It's like, well, you're still buying yeah, the death yeah. clip. You're just, you're you're tailoring it to your audience. You're not actually saying no <laughs> to the product <laughs> and cutting off the revenue stream of people who are dealing in death clips. You're just like, it's mildly inconvenient for me to not have yeah. to, for <laughs> yeah. me to have to make these changes. So... That was really cool, and even when he's selling the tech to the the, the lawyer guy yeah. in the bar, you know, he talks about how exploring these fantasies by way of the squid is that what he yeah, calls it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that this is the ethical way of exploring your dark fantasies. Yeah, because you know it's it's so dangerous out there in the real world now. Like you can't go out and have sex with a random person because you might catch something. Mm-hmm. But if you come into somebody else's memory and you have sex there, then that's a safe place to kind of be honest with yourself and explore your, explore the darkness yeah. where, I mean, that's, that's really problematic, but it's, it, a, it's an effective sales pitch. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting thread to pull at. I could see if this technology became a reality, like this would explode. We would like, you think people are confined to their phones now. Have you ever watched the show Black Mirror? 
I haven't. No, okay. but I heard the, I heard the new season is going to be on like a Netflix yeah, original. Yeah, yeah. So very exciting. There, there's an episode. I believe it's called "The Entire History of You," and the premise of it is that you are able to play back any moment that you've lived in your life, like. But it's you. It's ta- it's. But you can go back and forth and replay anything, right? And the characters get so caught up in not living in the now and just trying to live always live like the best part of their lives out. It's like I find that they they tapped into a lot of the same stuff that Strange Days. You know, this idea of living another person's life and and being able to you know um, barge into a liquor store with a loaded three fifty seven Magnum that he says mm-hmm. and feeling the adrenaline of robbing a liquor store and doing that sitting on your couch. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like insane to think that uh, if that happened, if we were able to achieve that technology, like how it would cut us off as a human race i feel from each other <laughs> it could it could it's it's curious to speculate on where the line would be because you know is it closer to actually committing the crime and possibly like tempting you into it and like opening up this slippery slope or is it more like grand theft auto where you're like i'm doing bad things but in a safe space yeah. in order to kind of burn off these these instincts so yeah. I, I don't know where that would be but yeah. I, I could you know like that there could be a real danger of addiction and they even explore that in this movie of people who just get so hooked on being wired as they say mm-hmm. uh like the uh who's the oh the, uh <laughs> michael wincott the guy the guy who played um what's, i just watched this Finn, 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 i can't remember his name oh philo 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 it. yes because it's philosopher I yeah, assume. yeah so philo who by the way looks like an emaciated heath ledger i don't know yeah. if that looked <laughs> yeah. like that to you but uh, you know he's addicted to being wired and he he's so hooked in that i mean they don't really go into the ethics of that addiction yeah. because they just have a consequence of you know if you spend too much time on it you're going to become a burnout yeah. but yeah i mean how different is that than i, I was listening to uh, a 538 podcast called what's the point mm-hmm. it's all about statistics and data analysis because i'm a huge nerd apparently and uh at the at the opening of their of a recent episode they talked about how the average iphone user and this is average so you got to know that people do it more than this unlocks like not just looks at but unlocks their iphone 80 times a day yeah i saw that too that's insane yeah so then if you could tap into somebody else's life and live this fantasy then that's crazy but i could also see uh i think that somebody would figure out how to monetize it pretty quickly and it (laughs) yeah i mean like we've seen that happen with snapchat right that now you have on twitter like everybody's avatar is their snapchat logo Mm -hmm. And celebrities are like, come check out my snap. So it would be the same thing. I mean, like, if this thing was real, people could be Kim Kardashian. Absolutely. And would pay a lot of money to do it. God. She would be, oh. She would be so famous. She would be so rich. Like, oh, my God. Because she could just sell these things off herself, right? Like, here, you know, here's, you want to live what it's like to be me in the spa for the day? Here it is. thousand bucks or whatever. Right. right? (laughs) Oh, man. I hope they don't invent this technology. (laughs) The rich certainly do not need to get richer. <laughs> the other thing that I thought was interesting about this world that they're living in is that, um, I mean, like everything has gone to hell. Like there's this huge, it seems like there's this enormous class divide where mm-hmm. nearly everybody who had money, like the middle class has disappeared. Everybody's kind of poor and huddled on the streets. They're getting by, but the everyday person is not doing well. And whenever Lenny and Macy... Yes. Whenever Lenny and Macy are driving in the limo. Cab? Limo? Yeah, they have the limo. Right. Whenever they're driving in the limo, they're always, like, the beside them on both sides is yeah. always the police getting involved with some kind of scuffle. Yeah. Like, it gets, it's, the movie's not subtle about it. I mean, we see somebody yeah. mug a Santa. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? So, like, there's no, there's no sanctity of anything left. Yeah, and they keep on talking about the end of the world and how, like, it's just like a, powder keg just waiting to get lit mm-hmm. but it is kind of optimistic though in in some cases because there are people who are saying it's the end of the world everything's going to end like max yeah but then the people who are actually oppressed like jericho one and things like that mm-hmm. although he's doing quite well for himself so maybe he's not as oppressed as he likes to claim he is but they're more talking about change and yeah. the change that's coming and the revolution that's going to be coming so i don't know maybe it's like there's there can be optimism and hope that comes from desperation which I think really now, again, resonates with people. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that, you know, 1995 and 2016 yeah. were the only times that people have felt this. But again, like the, the movie's relevance really, mm-hmm. really hits home right now. 
if we talk about if we go back to the technology bit yeah. too, right? As um, like we're seeing that now with Oculus and and the and ability, Samsung like, VR. And, yeah, like, like it's, it's and it's crazy. I've seen like like um, I've I have yet to experience it myself, um, mm-hmm. but I like um, I've watched uh, like just going down this. I I watch videos on YouTube of people experiencing it, right? And it's it seems like it's quite legit that it's it's very immersive the the mm. technology i haven't like i said i haven't seen it um, like i i would feel ridiculous with like a phone up to my face but <laughs> um, but um i've seen the 360 videos that you can watch sure. online on your phone and if you move your phone around you it changes your perspective and I, it's really cool <laughs> but like it's like you're really just absolutely cutting yourself off from the world you are cutting yourself off from the world but you're also i mean the world is also expanding and what it means to be experiencing the world is changing yeah i guess so that's a really good point i think it's important to remain grounded and Mm -hmm. uh this is from a i I was proofreading a book for uh for a friend and they were talking about again the ethics of technology Mm -hmm. and it's it's very easy to like poo poo cell phones and things like that and say Mm -hmm. like oh you like nobody talks to each other anymore and i think that there is truth in that but i also think it's important to recognize that we have access to quite possibly the world's largest library of information mm-hmm. ever in our pockets so we have to kind of celebrate the magic and also you know find the balance like that's yep. that's always the thing find the balance between everything and some advice that this guy gives in the book which is forthcoming is that let's say you're in a situation where you and i are sitting in a room together mm-hmm. and my phone goes off so if you do want to answer that text don't just grab your phone mm-hmm ask the person who you're sitting with, is it okay with you if I check this phone and invite them into that conversation yeah. and experience it all together? So, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it... And I, I really like that idea because if... <laughs> I do like that idea too. Because if it's not important enough for you to go through those social niceties, yeah. then you're just being a slave to your phone. Yeah. If it is possibly important, then there, there, are, cur- there are ways of having courtesy while adopting new technology mm-hmm. into your life. And I think that it's it's good to explore that. Mm-hmm. And Lenny in this movie is a dick about it a lot of the time. He's sitting in the back of Macy's car and he oh, just yeah. throws the tape in and yeah. ignores her after she's just given him the business about how much of a jerk he's been. Yeah. But I, I think that's also who he is, right? Yes, like that's absolutely. that's him well, kind of caught up in his own caught up in his own business. And I mean she she points it out to him. Yeah. And like you know that that's supposed to be what we know about this character when you have another character pointing it out to them. <laughs> when she says that too, when she says um when she like really gives him the business about that. Um that actually clip of dialogue is uh, used on a Fatboy Slim song. Is it? Right here right now. And that's like opens up that song. Right on. And it's all through it. It's, I I uh, when she said it today I was like, "Oh my god, that's where they got the sample from." That's where they got the sample from. I mean, let's talk about the music for a minute too because I mean, this is just an ignorant way of starting this conversation, yeah. but like, it's not really my scene, this kind of yeah. music, but I loved the music in this. I I had this, like, this is how old I am. I had this soundtrack on cassette that I drove, like, it was in my car. Yeah, you I did. drove it around for a long time. I loved this soundtrack when mm-hmm. it came out. At first, when Juliette Lewis gets up on stage, I was just like, kind of rolling my eyes. Yeah. Because not, I've talked a bunch on the show about kind of being being a little bit late to the game you know like mm-hmm. when this movie came out i would have been seven yeah. so I, I didn't watch this in theaters right yeah. so juliette lewis to me is kind of a a bit of an artifact of the 90s yeah where it was like she really her <laughs> like, yeah. she was she was like your your go-to girl for things so when she got up on stage they're like great now i need to listen to this like vanity performance yeah. or a really bad lip sync but that's actually her it's, right yeah and it's phenomenal the first the first performance piece she does is mind-blowingly good it's so amazing yeah and she's doing pj harvey songs yeah. right yeah and i love pj harvey so yeah. this is all amazing and they i think it's lenny when he's talking about faith so juliette lewis's mm-hmm. music how he describes her artistic process and he kind of calls her the voice of the world mm-hmm. when he says that what she's doing is she's taking all of the rage of the world and she's turning it into music which is a really beautiful way of explaining what's mm-hmm. happening. And it's a perfect match for the tone of the music that we hear, yeah. not only from her, but from all the other bands where... And her songs are a big shift too, right? Like everything we hear is like, there's a lot of electronic music in it and and the other stuff is very like aggressive. On her two performance pieces, they're so soulful and it's a, like a tonal shift in the, the music. 
I think that's kind of you know alongside of her character, right? Too. Uh, I talked about uh, oh the technology. This the, I guess you if you were seven years old when this thing came out, if the the clips that they're on, it, they're Sony mini discs. Yes. Do you? Do, I don't know if you remember what the, a mini disc is. You I I never ever saw a mini disc for sale in a store. Mini disc was a CD that you could record on, back when it came out. Okay. It was it was like, um. It was supposed to kill uh, digital, like digital mastering. Uh, they had a, they used to use a uh, tape called DAT, which is digital audio tape, and uh, two formats came out at the same time: DCC and MiniDisc. Uh, MiniDisc outlasted DCC, but never ever made it through commercially. Okay. Um, I actually had a friend who bought a MiniDisc player. He spent a thousand dollars on it. The discs were like twenty five dollars for a blank one. Just so he could make his own like mix CDs from his CD. This is like keep in mind this is pre burning CD burning days. So if you wanted to make like a mixtape of your CDs like mini disc and keep that fidelity quality, mini disc was really the only consumer way to go. And it was funny. It's just interesting to see that that was the technology they they chose for the movie. Was it supposed to be like, hey, isn't this technology cool? Or do you think it was more like, this is the closest thing to what I can imagine? Yeah, I think that's, that that's what take it a was. It was like, cause Cause you, I mean, that was pre, this is pre-DVD. Yeah. Like, DVDs weren't out then. So this is what they imagined we'd be, you know, we'd be watching clips on our videos on. Yeah. Right? I mean, if if you were to update this movie now, I mean, it would, basically, it would be on a thumb drive, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's not that far off. Like, it was something small, tangible. Yeah. Yeah. Easy to hide from people. Absolutely. Easy to, easy to swap out for something and, else. So. Yep. And 1995, that's really was, that was it. With it being 1995, I liked at the beginning when uh, when the newscaster, I believe it's even Kelly Who, mm-hmm. from, uh, who I remember from Nash Bridges, oddly <laughs> enough, um, and the Scorpion King, <laughs> uh, when she's talking about all the predictions that all mm-hmm. these seers are, are predicting. And I thought that it'd be kind of fun if it turned out that all these were coming true, like all the predictions that The Simpsons but, makes and things like that. But the one that stood out was that in 2025, we're getting or we'll be ready to elect our second female president. I did see that? And I, I was didn't like, heard that today. 2016. I and I mean, again, listening to all these 538 podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a pretty good chance that we're going to have the first one. So, yeah. you know, by 2025, even if Hillary Clinton wins the next two, like in 2024. Yeah there could conceivably be our second female president absolutely or our what the hell dylan this yeah that, canadian that... podcast that's a it's <laughs> a weird all right i'm not happy with myself right now but that's how ingrained american culture is yes right? well it's at the forefront of every news thing we see right yeah when that that just really hit my ear today when i when i saw that when they said you know in 2025 we're gonna knock the second uh female president I yeah like, wow well and it's played, did i write that i did not write that down and it's played as a joke too right because yeah. it said right after like momar gaddafi is about to win the nobel yeah. peace prize <laughs> yeah. like he is not gonna win the nobel <laughs> peace true. prize but it's cool that there's this this prediction that is you know you read it as a joke mm-hmm. but it could possibly be true but it's also like it's i mean i realized that james cameron wrote this along with jay cox oh okay but Catherine bigelow was the director i know, you know she's like, the director she's the she's kind of the first name that people come up with yeah uh, when you say female director. And, yep. I mean, she's done amazing things since then, too. Yeah. You know, winning... And before, she did Point Break. But the fact that this movie that was directed by a woman would still have in it this kind of, like, joke about how silly would it be for a yeah. woman to be president. Like, it's... Yeah. That's one of the most kind of dated things about this movie is is how is that joke. I'm also, like, maybe it's maybe it's not meant to be a joke. But, I mean, the fact that it's placed right next to that Gaddafi comment is mm. uh, is pretty telling. I don't want to bring it down too much, but I also don't want to end on this. Uh, it's pretty unfortunate over the last couple of movies that I've talked about on this show. Um, so last week it was Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, I did. I did see your. And then uh, we just released the bonus episode this mm-hmm. past week uh, about Heather's. And so this is going to be now three movies in a row that feature rape scenes. Yes. Yeah. Which, I mean, like talk about using your first person point of view shots to uh to tremendous effect like yeah i remember i when i saw that in the theater like you could hear like the audience just squirming the entire time it's a very uncomfortable scene to sit through Mm -hmm. because it's because it's a pov and it's uh like such a terrible thing 
Well, and when we were talking last week about the girl with the dragon tattoo, mm-hmm. I mean, when when David Fincher took on you know the the yeah. infamous rape scene in that movie, he does that tease, right? Have you watched Girl with the Dragon Tattoo yep. recently, or I I haven't. I probably haven't seen it in a couple of years. Okay. I saw it in the theater too. So I don't know if you remember this, but like when it's happening, mm-hmm. you do. There's this cut to the door, and the camera starts to either zoom out or move away from the door. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of tease that okay now we're gonna don't worry i'll let you off the hook you don't have to watch this but then it cuts right back into the room and it like puts it right in your face and this movie doesn't let you off the hook either there's no no, there's no hint (laughs) that you're gonna get away from this and it's it's really upsetting because in that first scene you know you're you're helping to rob a a restaurant was it yeah and that's kind of like fun and high energy and the guy's anonymous even though he's us Yep. And even when he dies, it's not like, oh, that poor guy. It's it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. But then the next big POV thing that we see is this rape. Yeah. And we're put in the position of it. And But we, along with that, we watch Lenny watch it. Yeah. And we kind of cut away to that. And the really uncomfortable thing about both this and the later one, which I want to talk about as well, but... Mm-hmm. You know, when Lenny's watching it, he's gasping in horror. Yeah. But also, yeah. you can yeah, read his... Feeling that, yeah, it's it's... Yeah, it's a weird, and, and the acting kind of kind of goes a little south when when he's reacting to it. So, do you think that the acting is going south, or do you think that he's meant to be like because the no, sensory yeah, experience I, is I, so I, I, strong? Yeah, I, and that, I get what the kind of you know she would have had to say to him as the director saying, "Okay, well, this is you know you know obviously he's an actor and he knows what he's got to you know emotionally convey." But mm-hmm. um, like I get he does it, but it's. I don't know. It so ter- I mean, if anybody hasn't seen it, like yeah. what what we're trying to yeah. what we're trying to tiptoe around is that Lenny, with you know, watching this rape in his headset thing, he's enjoying it because of the sensory experience the rapist is having, and you know the with the the power relationship and everything with that. Like he's fighting feeling pleasure about it because yeah. the idea is you're supposed to feel what the person yeah. who was going through was feeling, and that's so horrible to watch. Yes, it is. It's. It would, you know, it would be a horrible, horrible thing to experience. Which it's funny because it—that's a—I don't feel good saying that, but it's—it's it's interesting that we see Lenny's reaction to it, where mm-hmm. like, you know like he throws up afterwards yeah. because he—he he knows how wrong it is to to feel any like to to be involved in that and everything, and he he has this physical reaction, and then when he shows it to Max mm-hmm. right afterwards, Max just kind of like takes it off and goes, "Well, that was pretty messed up." Yeah, and you know that's kind of one of your first hints except for his terrible wig that you know maybe max isn't on the up and up yeah and then before we step away from it then you have the the second and i'm putting air quotes around this the second rape scene Mm -hmm. which as lenny's watching it he thinks that it's a rape and in this one he's clearly ecstatic like he's there's no there's no blurred lines about this one like as he's experiencing this what he thinks is an attack he's feeling a much more a much more you know orgasmic yeah experience and then it's revealed that okay this was actually max this is, this max is, and faith yeah. playing out this rape fantasy yeah. that they that they had concocted so <laughs> you know after having already taken you on this emotional ride mm. it then takes you on another one that's different and slaps you in the face and slaps lenny in the face yeah. and just it's an interesting choice because we spent so much time last week talking about you know whether or not it's responsible to use rape as a plot device mm. to like well, we do this so that you can overcome it afterwards. But I don't think that Strange Days does that. I think that it's, yeah. you know, it's shown to us to be horrific, but it's not for the sake of having some, you know, triumphant butterfly come out yeah. of it at the well, end. Well, and, like, and I think they 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 do that to us, so we kind of we kind of feel the horror as well. Like yeah. it it brings us more into the moment, so we we we're feeling alongside what Lenny's feeling too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah, it's 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 so strange that like I. I think this, we mentioned the girl with the dragon tattoo. Like, I don't think I had seen, like, been in a movie theater and seen people uncomfortable since when I saw the girl with the dragon tattoo. Since I saw Strange Days, right? Well, I felt that it was, you know, knowing that Catherine Bigelow directed this, yeah. I kind of trusted that it was, yeah, it was being handled a bit more responsibly. Now, that's maybe unfair yeah. of me to do, but I mean, like, she's a woman director showing us yeah. this thing, and so there. I, I feel like there can just be a bit more trust there. Yeah. Well, I, but, I, I, th- I think it's it's the horror too, right? Like, yeah. Like she doesn't want to sugarcoat it. That this is a terrible thing, and and we should be uncomfortable experiencing it. But 
what that leads us to, although the character is not involved in it at all, just kind of on the topic then of female characters and uh, em- empowerment and things mm-hmm. like that. Macy is, I think, friggin' amazing. She is. And in in a bunch of different ways, this movie is often smart and and tries to have a look at you know the moral implications of these technologies and all the things that we've talked about already but it's also sometimes and i think intentionally for the sake of kind of having some levity it's also sometimes just a dumb action movie <laughs> yeah and even though lenny is you know and ray fines is presented our light as our our big male lead he doesn't do a whole heck of a lot he's just kind of the guy that we see this lens through and then macy sneaks up and is this awesome powerful ass-kicking woman yeah who is just she's just a strong female character without and i sorry to be spending so much time calling back to go with the dragon tattoo nope. but caroline in that discussion she was kind of frustrated that like you don't have to have somebody be a victim of something to then become a strong female character. Yeah. Like you can just be a strong person yep. who then has something like you can be strong first and then have something happen to you that you overcome. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what Macy is. She's not a product of something bad that's happened to her. She's somebody who's just been awesome all along yeah. who then faces a conflict by continuing to be a badass, And then at the end is the big hero of the whole thing. Absolutely. And it's interesting because if we look at that, then because Julia, I feel that like Juliet Lewis's character totally falls down like I, I, I feel that they like they put her up to be this big thing and then the twists and turns they do with it it doesn't pay off and i feel that she doesn't like her character just kind of falls to the wayside at the end i feel like that is done on purpose to subvert our expectations yeah. because i think faith for lenny starts off as you know the, the princess up in the tower who needs to be saved mm-hmm. And the more we find out about her, like at, at first, even when she's saying like, stop trying to help me, stop trying to rescue me. She seems to be doing it in this way that says, but actually please come rescue yeah. me. And is still kind of fishing towards his emotional attachment. And then as Lenny goes along, the realization that he comes to about 80% of the way through the movie is, Oh no, like what, what's going on between me and faith is over. And I'm at a point now that I'm grieving it or I'm, I'm, I'm no longer resisting that. I'm no longer holding on to it. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to grieve it and to move on from it. And I can still be happy about everything that we did together. Mm-hmm. And that's when he rubs in Max's face is that, you know, like you two might be screwing right now, Faith and Max, but you're never going to touch what we had. And mm-hmm. that's not him saying it out of jealousy or anything. Yeah. It's just, we had a great relationship where we brought out the best in each other and you're way too much of an idiot to bring that out in anybody. And that frees him up to realize that it is over, it's done, and it's okay to move on and and realize that there's been somebody great standing in front of you this whole time. So then for her to be this kind of fall-down character is okay because that's what she is for Lenny. My big my big problem with this movie and it's 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 always been is that like I I didn't like that they put Mac, our, uh, Macy and Lenny together at the end. Right. Like it just it just seemed like like they had to do it. It just it just seemed like it kind of they kind of refer to it earlier when he says like uh have you ever loved anyone and not had them love you back and she said yes I have. Right. right. Like I feel that that was like her basically saying yes I feel that for you, right? But you've yeah. been too occupied with faith to even see how I feel about you. Mhm. But I don't know. I like I just feel that it I didn't like it. I really didn't like it at the end, though, when they um, when they start kissing and, and stuff. I just, I don't know. Well, there, there are a few reasons that I, because I, I, I also feel conflicted about it. Yeah. Because it feels tacked on. Yeah. But I feel like it was also done for the right reasons. Because, um, for one thing, it's a very rare instance of uh, a mixed race couple being mm-hmm. like the happy thing at the end where it ends with a kiss. Yeah. Which I think is just terrific and should be way more normalized than it is now. I mean, yep. like, a big thing... What was that movie that Will Smith and Marco Robbie did recently? Oh, yeah, to where, Focus. Right, where people were, like, up in arms because, yeah. you know, there's a sex scene between a black man and a white woman. Like, that's insane that we're still upset about that kind of thing. But the other thing that I like is I like that there was this subversion of the gender roles because Macy mm-hmm. is the action hero in this. Absolutely. And Lenny is kind of an idiot, <laughs> with regards to how she feels and things like that. And so he ends up being her reward instead of it being the other way around. 
and I don't think that you know ultimately a person should be a reward for somebody else. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it was all right, let's let's twist it. Let's let's have it be the other way around. That Macy gets the guy at the end. Yeah, is but, pretty pretty affirming. But I feel Macy deserves better than Lenny. Right? Lenny's not like he's he's a loser. They call him Lenny the loser in the, the thing. Like he's he's a used car salesman peddling clips. Yeah, it, I mean it, they have a friendship. Yeah, but like, like I, I understand what they're trying to say in the movie. Like, he's let go of faith. He's let go of that, all those old memories. He's living in the now, and he's pursuing. You know, he's he's with Macy now. Yeah, but they turn his entire character's belief system, everything we've built that character up on, in the last five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. It just seems like it's a, it's such a right hand right turn. I, I would have bought it if they just would have said, okay, let's go have a drink together, and then. And then remained the friends that they were. I would have bought that. I just yeah. I felt that I don't know there because there there wasn't. I mean, they they you know they threw us hints that there might be some something between them, mm-hmm. but it more it seemed to me it was more like she's just like they're they're friends like old cops or something like that because he does mention that she was like a mercenary or something like that. <laughs> Is that what it was? That yeah, they met. They say something about her that she's like she's got all this military. Training. Oh right, when he's when he's like selling her as yeah. the driver to yeah yeah yeah, and I I get those concerns yeah. for sure. It's just if I have to choose between liking it or not, I eek to the side of like it's doing enough that it that it does you know it, it overcomes those yeah. the you know the the struggles that yeah. it has. The other thing with her it, that's amazing is her final showdown with the cops oh yeah because it really does split where you know she only gets involved in the situation because of uh because of lenny Mm -hmm. uh he pulls her in just by calling and asking for a ride but once she's aware that there's something really messed up going on she just knows it's the right thing to do that if she can help she should be helping um like she doesn't need to see the clip of the rape Mm mm-hmm She's like, no, I don't. I, I no, I don't need to see that. You've told me what happens in it. Mm-hmm. That's enough for me to be outraged. I don't need to witness it for myself. And this, it comes to this amazing finale, where you know they they split the narrative, where Lenny goes off to deal with the Faith Philo mm-hmm. Max situation, and really Macy couldn't care less. And then Macy becomes responsible for taking care of the cops. Yep, which is amazing because she's there representing strong women she's there representing the you know the lower class she's there representing the the black people of mm-hmm. the movie which you know like it's it's made very clear that a lot of these struggling people are part of a black community like the the person who's gunned down mm-hmm. is a hip-hop star and his producer yep. was it yeah you know and they're killed by these two white cops and so everything that she does is this great rebellion against this whole broken system where when she's fighting the cops, she fights two grown men who are armed and wins. And it's done in this ridiculous kind of way that you can still sort of believe. And yep. she does it by taking their weapons. Like she, she, yeah, she tases the one cop. Well, she starts by kicking Vincent D'Onofrio in the dick. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> and William Fickner is just like... I it's know. so cool that you know these two bit-ish characters are these two really recognizable faces. Yeah. Um, but she kicks him in the crotch, you know the you know attacking men where it counts, and then with regards to like taking power back from the cops, she beats them with batons, they, you know their own batons. She pulls their guns on them. She mm-hmm. tases them, and then she locks them up with their own handcuffs. But then there's the turn where you know the rest of the cops swarm in, like the SWAT teams and everything. Yeah. And they start to take her down, and that's you know the the literal police force. It's the force of the force comes down on her because yeah. that's the way the system is set up at this point, and that leads to this whole riot. Yeah, where well, and it's a terrifying notion. I, I find that when it, when that scene where she's getting beat by the cops, and then they start freeing the two cops that she's worked like she's kicked their asses. Yeah, right? and it's like that notion of like. Like what happens when the good the bad guys are dressed as the good guys? Yeah, right? and and that like I don't know. It just really hit me hard when I, when I saw it today. I was like, God, that's just like it sucks. It sucks. Yeah, that it it does, and it's so it's scary that yeah. like that for her. It seems like no matter what you do, yeah. you're always going to lose. Like you yeah. you carry all of these signs of oppression, yeah. and you're not going to win. But she becomes this symbol for all the people around her. Yeah. Where 
when all these white cops start beating on her they're like no we saw what she just did we we get it we were there and they riot and they that's their that's their revolution Mm -hmm. where they're saying you're right we aren't gonna take it anymore we're taking the force away from these people and then the uh the very severe sergeant or i don't don't know his his rank but you know the other other cop comes in and he says you like put a stop to this (laughs) Because, yeah. what's yeah, the, oh my god, is that because it's so like... Oh, there's it some, some pretty hacky, hacky acting in that moment, too. When he <laughs> walks up and hands, puts the clip up to their face and is like, you two are under arrest. Yes, right? it's like, amazing. Uh, but it's it's done with this potency where, yeah. where you know, the, the riot happens and power is claimed away from the police and then the police comes in and turns the system in the right direction and realizes, like, if there's all this rage, it must be coming from somewhere. Yep. So let's use the force that's been given to us by the government and by the people. And now let's turn and direct it where it actually belongs, which is the two people who broke the system in the first place, or, or are a, at least like a really disgusting byproduct of how bad things have gotten. What's crazy is I, I just finished watching uh, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, okay. that, that, that FX show, yeah, which is incredible. I, I cannot recommend it enough. Like, I, I was old enough to live, like, I'm old enough to remember when all that was happening. Sure. Um, and to, like, see what they've done with it now, like, as to recreation and stuff. They, they did a fantastic job with it. But there's a lot of things that, like, at the time, like, 1995 when this, so the movie came out in 95. So probably means they filmed it in 94. Mm-hmm. Cameron probably wrote it in 92, 93. This is right after the L.A. riots. The L.A. riots happened after the Rodney King verdict. And there's a lot of underlying stuff that they talk about, that it's mentioned in the script, that that the lines are parallel lines are drawn in this OJ thing that I saw um, that like how, when that, when that was going on, when they uncovered like the, all the racism inside of the LAPD. And I really feel that like that period of time was the catalyst for what we're seeing in the movie, right? They put it in. It was, I mean, at the time it was fresh, but we're seeing that now, right? We saw that in Ferguson and places in the States where people were rioting against the cops because cops are killing innocent, innocent black kids without any penalty um and that's what was so affirming about the the final decision and i mean there's there's power politics at play that you know like Mm. it's a white man who comes in and finally saves the Mm. day but it's you know it's it's all spurred on by this woman and the last thing that vincent d'onofrio does after william fickner blows his own brains out uh vincent d'onofrio stickler stuckler yes stucky yeah i don't know and i think probably intentionally stupid so we hate him even more (laughs) <laughs> no offense to people named Stuckler or whatever his name was, but you know he grabs the gun and he's just so filled with rage and he points the gun at Macy mm-hmm. and says it's awful but it's poignant. Points the gun at her and says you stupid n word bitch. Yeah. And it's like he hits the three marks of like yeah. I think you're poor and stupid. Yeah. You're black yeah. and you're a woman. Yeah. But after he says that, you know he goes to pull the trigger and he gets annihilated. And that's this rejection of everything that he said that like, mm-hmm. no, none of that is yeah. acceptable. Like we're ready to acknowledge the fact that there are systemic problems that have led to somebody like you being able to exist, but you are a stain on our police force that is no longer acceptable. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah, no, it's fantastic that they do take that stand and say like, you know, this will not stand. Yeah. Right. And just on, on those, like, especially on those two accounts of, of race and gender mm-hmm. that, you know like no just just no conclusively no and now you're filled with bullets and your <laughs> your voice is not allowed to be heard anymore yeah. i loved it <laughs> yeah there's uh the, it's i have some problems with the movie like i, I feel that sure. there's times that the movie becomes like medicine right like it's it's it is it's slow i find it slow in some parts but when it's firing on on all cylinders it, it really delivers as a movie uh like I, I i i feel the first half of it is fantastic the second half of it kind of, I feel, falls down a little bit. You know, Cameron has a thing where I feel he needs to put action beats in sometimes that don't need to be there. Like the limo on fire in them in the water. Like, I really feel <laughs> they could have got rid of that scene. <laughs> right. That limo is insane. <laughs> but it's, it's James Cameron, right? I mean, I, I hate to say it. I know he's not the director, but, like, the thing is with him, he edited the movie. Like, mm-hmm. but he couldn't. I read this that he couldn't take credit on it because... Because he wasn't part of the, part of the guild, right? Or, yeah, or yeah. guild or, yeah. But um, 
we we should say he was one of the editors. One of he the didn't editors, do it exclusively, yeah, yeah. but he did uncredited edits yeah. on it. Yeah. There's times where like you know it smells like a Cameron movie, <laughs> right? Sure. And that scene does read gratuitous. Yeah. Like it's not just we're gonna shoot at your car. It's we're gonna shoot at your car. Then we're gonna surround your car. And as yeah. police, we're gonna have access to automatic weapons to shoot your car. <laughs> and then we're gonna light it on fire and then you're gonna drive it off a bridge and get underwater where you're you know you're you're out of the frying pan but now you're in the fire although the opposite yeah. where now you're underwater like it's this just escalating well, and they spend so much time like filling the sequence. thing with bullets put it on fire they drive it off the water and then like the guys at the end are like oh well i guess it's in the water oh, let's go then right like they right. don't like they, like they don't wait around for them to come up or yeah yeah, and they don't hear them come up yeah. under the dock. and Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. No. I, I don't think anybody could claim that it is. Okay, one thing I loved about this, too, is that um, like a byproduct of the 90s. Um, like, I felt that the, like the set design and, and everything, like, the movie looked fantastic. The mm-hmm. cinematography was top-notch on it. And I yeah, felt it doesn't that, it doesn't feel dated. No, no. Ex- except you, you when he pulls out a cell phone, really the and the obviously the mini disc. But um, one thing I was thinking about when I was watching it today is that there's especially there's a scene where they go into that party, and it's like a huge tent with lights, and there's like 500 extras. And I was thinking, they don't do this anymore in movies. Like we are so heavily relied on like the digital age of things and like okay well let's get like 10 extras put them in front of a green screen let's move these 10 extras over here let's move them over here and then eventually you get a crowd a crowd mm-hmm. shot and i found that you know back back then um you know movies may have cost 100 million dollars to do but i feel the move that 100 million was put on the screen in set design stunts uh, like because people aren't doing that anymore stunts they're all they're digital now set stuff it's digital so and i feel that there's a shift going on now where that all that production money is being saved because they're lowballing the the effects houses because it's essentially it's a bake-off that the way the industry works is they'll hit five effects houses and say okay well here's they each give each one of them a shot to complete and whoever can do it faster and cheaper gets the business and you're seeing these effects houses go under because they can't afford to pay their bills but What's happening now is you're seeing actors get $25, 30000000 million to be in a film. So we're paying, we're giving all that money that was allocated to go to teams for set design. We're cutting corners to make it digitally. And now we're putting all that money into the actor's pocket. Because I feel that we're losing that sense of art now. Or not we, but the Hollywood is losing that sense of art. And it's more about the horse race and who can open up bigger. Who can grow us more money? Mm-hmm. Like we looked at, like with Batman and Superman, the the movie, the the one that just came out. Like they they, I feel that they only cared about what they could do in the opening weekend. Well, good because yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> right. all they have to stand on. But, but like um, but like I, but they, I mean, there's a lot happening in that movie. But it, I don't know. It's like the room we're sitting in right here right now. We could do a movie in if we painted all the walls green. And we could we could save a ton of money by not paying all the people to do all this stuff. And I, I feel that maybe in twenty years from now, if we watch Batman versus Superman, it's not going to hold up mm-hmm. the way the Strange Days held up because everything was done practical. Yeah, the movie feels alive. Yeah, in those crowd scenes and in everything that happens in the city. Like the the one shot that's even standing out to me is watching Ray Fiennes as Lenny going up that elevator yeah to go up to the penthouse where yeah. it's just like and you see the fireworks going off. yeah the fireworks going off in the background yeah. like it, it it is a really it's very real and yeah. you're right that that absolutely has to do with you know the longevity of the movie and i mean we talked about this with uh with interstellar as well yeah. because so much of that was done practically that yeah it's probably going to have a longer lifespan than gravity as i yeah, think absolutely. was the comparison that you had yeah with that party in particular it's imdb trivia so take it with a grain of salt yeah. but I believe that Catherine Bigelow or whoever was responsible just hired a DJ to throw a rave. Yeah. And that's what that scene was. Yeah. And the party just went on and went on. And apparently they, uh, the, the fire brigade had to shut it down because there was so much confetti on the ground and people started smoking yeah. and it became <laughs> yeah. a potential fire hazard. But yeah, it was a real party that they just filmed this, 
this really busy cluttered scene that yep. works perfectly with the tone of the movie of but if people if, finally having enough yeah. and it, if you watch if you watch it you can see that yes this was the party and this is where it was it was you could tell it was on a street because um they very rarely cut to like an ultra wide like enough that it's a like a you know four lane street they they fly a lot of confetti in the foreground to kind of mask everything's going on and all i have to do is just you just have to occasionally pepper in a helicopter shot that they could take at times square on new year's eve and it it sells it and uh there's shots in there you can tell they maybe had like 30 extras in it and just have people jumping up and down right just it's just smart filmmaking mm. well because i i didn't notice any yeah. of those it just but it always now, felt very congested if they did it now all those people would be digital like they would uh, they probably wouldn't even shoot that outside yeah and you know it's unfortunate but you know it could be as well that with the the business of making movies that maybe doing a movie this way mm-hmm. and having it do as poorly as it did cuz i'm looking at the numbers now it's a uh, budget 42 million mm-hmm. so not quite the 100 million we were yeah. expecting but uh, box office gross of 8 million dollars yeah like a tremendous tremendous failure uh commercially yeah well i i saw it i saw it on opening weekend when it came out and like i remember the theater was only like half full right but they like they did a poor job marketing it i i felt like the trailer if i don't know if you've seen the trailers or i haven't for it. no it, it doesn't really explain it 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 came out in the fall of 95 and i think at that time like pulp fiction was out i think like i think those it i remember having stiff competition at the time right and it just kind of i mean they really pumped it as a Cameron movie, even though he's a writer. He was only the writer of it. Really? Um, but I remember I remember all the advertising was very not much about her. I was excited because I, I, I love Point Break. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Catherine Break, oh, she's awesome. Point Break was awesome. Right. And you can see in Point Break, they experimented with that first-person POV stuff when there's the uh, Johnny Utah and Patrick Swayze, uh, the Keanu Reeves-Patrick Swayze uh, chase. Yeah, and I, mean, I think I already spoke a bit to the – the marketing not being great yeah. because like the poster doesn't do anything. It's just the faces of people. So it, it's like, you're trying to sell it on not clear pictures of yeah. your stars. I had, friend, I had a friend who had a poster of that I hung up on his, in his dorm room. Well, I would like, if I, if somebody bought me the poster yeah. now, I would gladly hang it yeah. because I like the movie so much, but I specifically skipped this movie because I thought it looked dumb yeah. because of the poster. So funny a little tidbit about the marketing i remember that the strange days website was one of the very first <laughs> websites that i ever went on that's amazing because i remember my friend like i said my friend had the poster in his dorm room and i remember seeing it and on the bottom it said www.strangedays.net i think they had a dot net and I, rem- I remember like that address sticking out in my mind and i had just gotten the internet at that point in time <laughs> And that was one of the, like, I remember specifically saying, I'm going to visit that Strange Days website. The other thing that I wrote down, which I thought was when I watched it today, um, was timely that there's a scene where Lenny's watching the, after they're on Venice Beach, uh, rollerblading, and they come back into their, their house, and she takes off her clothes and stuff. They're listening to Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. And I kind of blew my mind, because this week I just dropped a video with a whole bunch of people from London singing Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. Really? So I thought that was interesting that well, it's just, it just coincident. Yeah, there are, there are a couple little little cute things uh, about the movie that I just wanted to bring up before before we start wrapping anything up. Um, it, one is how simultaneously awesome and terrible the, the dialogue is in this movie. <laughs> yes. Because sometimes it's like I responded to it mm-hmm. like when Jericho one is doing his press conference and he's talking about how you know people in office will make this big this big show mm-hmm. of fixing the problems and the phrase that he uses he says but all they're doing is just arranging deck chairs on the Titanic <laughs> which is phenomenal like it's this really great image but then a bunch of other stuff in the movie is like really bad like when Lenny describes somebody as being when he talks about the 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 stern cop that he ends mm-hmm. up giving the the tape to he says his ass is so tight when he farts only a dog, <laughs> dog can, can hear, hear it, it. yes dude. it's like come on like yeah. you're taking me out of the movie at this <laughs> yeah. point like you've done this amazing job immersing me in your version of 1999 new york yeah 
or is it New York or is it Los Angeles? It's uh, well, I don't know. That's that's a good question because at one point in time they shoot. They, there's a shot where they go up and it's the Renaissance Center from Detroit in the back. Okay, so and they're on Venice Beach and they're on and then they're on Venice. I think it's supposed to be L.A. But okay, it. Um, <laughs> Um, and another one that I that I'm so on the fence about because it just made me hate the character. Um, so it may be good writing because it's so terrible. It's when Lenny is, you know, making this speech to Faith mm-hmm. when he goes into the club that he eventually gets kicked out of, and he's like, "No, no, no, don't!" And Philo is trying to interrupt, mm-hmm. and Lenny says, "This isn't between you and me. This is between me and Faith." And Philo reaches out. And like, oh yes. and grabs the air in yeah. between them and goes, "Funny, I don't feel anything yes. between you and Faith." Yes. I laughed so yeah, yeah. hard. Yeah, like, like it's. I don't know how much you followed Michael Wincott, that actor, like his career at that point in the '90s. He had done three movies where he essentially played the same person. Okay, he in the Doors, which I think came out in 1990. He was Paul Rothschild, the producer for the Doors, same character. Okay, and then he was the big bad guy in The Crow. Um, oh he was yeah right and yeah then, i just watched that recently. and then uh and then here he is playing the same thing in strange days right just being big old creepy looking dude yeah. with long hair dude's got a phenomenal voice though like his voice is so ominous and that's where the word <laughs> ominous is. that's where they chose it for the uh <laughs> for the description yeah, there's but there's was, there's some problems. Like there there yeah, are but, but there's it, some some dialogue problems in here. There's certainly some acting problems in here. Yeah, if it, with that one line though, I don't know if it's good or bad writing, and that makes me love it even more because yeah. it could be that it's just bad writing and it's you know James Cameron thinking of something clever. Yeah. And again, it's not fair for me to just crap on him or just celebrate him because you know he had his, his writing partner as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> it could be that, but it could also be if you put philo next to jericho one one of them is genuine and legitimate and mm-hmm. is able to use turns of phrase effectively yep. and the other one just sounds like a dick who thinks he's come up with the most clever thing in the world so i don't know i kind of hope it's on purpose but the other yeah. part of me that enjoys things that but, are awful yeah and there there are some really nice writing moments in there i really feel when she's giving him shit about you know, being wired in so much, and she's when when Macy is when Macy's yeah. giving him shit about being wired in, and she's like, uh, "What did she say?" Um, you know, this isn't real. Like memories, memories are supposed to fade; they're designed that way. And yeah, I, thought, I really like that line. Yeah, it's just really effectively calling out his business practices. Mm-hmm. You know this but, this whole industry that she doesn't approve of, but also his inability to move forward with his life. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. This has nothing to do with anything, but it's, you know, I, I love the movies and everything, but I also love when little things happen to remind me that I'm watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. Did you, do you watch this on Netflix or did yeah, you, I did you like it on, on Netflix, the DVD yeah. or anything like that? The credits mm-hmm. are in French. Yes. And I don't know if it was just like, oh yeah, here Canadian. Yeah. I, I, that's when that came up, I was like, whoa, did I click the wrong one? Did I click yeah. the French version? <laughs> right. Right. And I, that's what I thought too. I checked my language. I was like, no, I'm set to English, but I I love those little kind of quirks of yeah. Canadian media. Like, I don't know if you ever get this, but I'll sometimes watch a video mm-hmm. and YouTube will send me a French ad because it'll be like, oh, no, it's I just don't, I, I Canada. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I, can't, I get what happened here, but you're really losing me on this whole, you know, marketing directly to me <laughs> thing if it's not even in my language. Yeah. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to start wrapping this up. So what I always like to do to mm-hmm. to finish these off is to invite you to tell me what star rating this is going to get in your own Netflix profile, as well as assigning an MVP. So uh, for the stars, uh, so when I say MVP, I mean the you know, the person who was the standout performance or standout contributor to the movie. When it comes to the star ratings, one star means you hated it. Two stars is didn't like it. Three stars is liked it. Four stars is really liked it, and five stars means you loved it. So, rating an MVP, what do you got? I'd probably have to go probably a three and a half, three and a half stars. If you would ask me twenty years ago, I would have got a solid four. Fair enough, but, but keep in mind on Netflix you can't do half stars. Okay, so, so, so you're not allowed to. Uh, all right, either. I'll give it a four then. All right, just because that was my first, my first uh, thing. <laughs> and my MVP definitely has to be Angela Bassett. Right on. Uh, she's 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 badass in this movie. Yeah um yeah mine's identical four stars um while it was 
very you know like so much of it i feel it is maybe even more relevant now than Mm -hmm. it was before or just really insightful for getting so many things right with its predictions Mm -hmm. you know sometimes when you get sci-fi that's predicting Mm -hmm. the future and the technology actually went an entirely different way it can come across really goofy and it could be in 20 years that that is the case but i mean our VR technology looks like garbage right now. Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, having this squid thing you pop on your head isn't that ridiculous at no. this point. That <laughs> I I had a problem with this too, sorry to bring this in. There's a scene at the end where Lenny's going into that hotel room. He's got the gun drawn because he knows somebody's, somebody's out to get him. Max is out to get him. So he's, he's walking around the room with a gun drawn, afraid that somebody's going to be there to kill him. And then he, and then and then he, he jacks the in, yeah. right? When you're the most vulnerable you could be, and you're like, Max could have just walked up and just plugged him right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that. That took a little bit of a leap yeah. of faith on the storytelling there. But I don't know. Maybe it's just like he is so used to being jacked in that. Yeah. You know, and, and this was clearly left for him by the person who is setting him up. Yeah. So yeah, I can I can understand him maybe not thinking clearly. And then Angela Bassett's my MVP yeah, sorry, as well. I mean, not- yeah, she was she was great and she made me love this character so much and whether or not it was intentional it's sometimes with ray fines it seemed like it was like I, i'm like you're kind of seeing behind the curtain a little bit like mm-hmm. i see what you're trying to do but yeah there's t- yeah because there's, there's times where like his accent slips a bit and and how much does how much does he look like bradley cooper in this movie oh i didn't think about that right, like there's there's one shot in there where he looks identical to bradley cooper I do have to give credit to whoever did like the style or whoever mm-hmm. did the costuming for this movie because everybody looks great. Yeah. And Ray Fiennes rocks that like, you know, <laughs> medium, medium length feathered <laughs> yeah. hair yeah. that I don't, I think the last time I saw something like that was Roger in Rent. You know, it's like an identical <laughs> hairstyle, yeah. but I don't get the thing with the really wide tie. Like that just. Yeah. But that's, I, that's... I chuckled at the line where he says like, uh, what it's the only thing between me and the jungle out there is this tie. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a solid four star movie. I yeah. I liked it so much. Um, I didn't like love it. Like it didn't change my change yeah. my life, but I enjoyed it so much more than I expected to. And it feels really relevant. And yeah, it, I think that yeah, I wasn't there in 95, but I feel mm-hmm. like it could possibly be more relevant now than it was when it was made. Like yeah. I, the best thing that could come out of you and I talking about this right mm-hmm. now is that I hope that people will listen to this and go and watch the movie yeah, because I think it deserves to be seen, especially mm-hmm. right now. Um, yeah. So I think that that's going to wrap everything up. Cool. Thank Sounds you good, so much for coming on and doing oh, this no problem. again. Do you want to, uh, I mean, do you have anything going on that you want to tell uh, the world well, about? We just, uh, yesterday we just dropped, uh, the teaser for glass, which is the movie that, uh, I've been working on with Jason Jason R. Gray, who will be, I think you're having on next week, aren't you? Yes, yes, he'll be here so, next week. So I'm sure he'll talk more at length about that. But we just dropped the teaser um, yesterday for uh, Canadian Film Day, National Canadian Film Day. So that was cool. That That's the first moving images that Jason's allowed of this movie to be seen by the public. Mm-hmm. And I've, um, I just put out a, uh, a video on Monday as well for, for the Jack Richardson Awards. We, it was a thing to celebrate the music scene in London. Uh, and I was actually, I was nominated for a Jack Richardson Award for music video. You were. I was. I lost. Um, <laughs> uh, to a, the the video that won was the uh, video for Warpaint by Ivory Hours, which is a fantastic piece of work. But I am nominated for music video of the year for My Someday by Runaway Angel. And that is on May 2nd in Toronto is well, the, the, the awards for that. Uh, is all this stuff available on your website? Yep. Or most of it? Yeah. Yep. Which is edwardplatero.com p-l-a-t-e-r-o i know that uh i overuse this feature on facebook but my my saved links is just it's littered with your stuff because (laughs) i i know that i need to see see it see all of it and give it the attention that it deserves because and from what i've seen you do great work and i'm so excited for what i've seen so far from glass and to see it as soon as possible and to (laughs) help the world see it as well yeah, so thank you again for, for doing what you do oh. and for introducing me to this movie and for having this oh, conversation. No so that's going to be everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out all the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, and reviews. You can also find us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, Twitter at NetflixPod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore, and we're on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. I also have a Letterboxd account, 
So be sure to check that out if you feel so inclined. What Letterboxd is is uh, basically a movie diary. And uh, if you check out my profile, there's a list on there, and that's the only place where you can see a list of all the upcoming titles that we're going to be talking about on upcoming episodes of the Netflix podcast. If you're interested in supporting the show, there are a few ways that you can do so. Uh, One way is by heading over to iTunes or whatever podcast platform you prefer and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you so you don't have to go find it. And while you're on there, it helps us out. If you could drop a rating, especially if it's a positive one, and a review to let us know what you think. It just helps get more eyes on the show, more ears on the show, and uh, to help get the conversations get even bigger. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign, whether it's for the rewards, like shoutouts on the podcast, or some new upcoming rewards. Uh, or if you just want to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support at patreon.com. There are links to that on the website as well. Uh, you just hit support near the top of the page, and that'll take you right there. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme song is provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so, so much for checking out this week and all the past week's episodes of the Netflix podcast. And be sure to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet.